are on planet Earth, wherever you are in the cosmos, the universe, wherever you are in America or any other nation, despite the fact that the global puzzle pieces are scattered across the planet in disarray, there are unseen and invisible players that are very, very powerful and extremely wealthy. In reality, because it's so difficult difficult to assess their actual net value or their net worth, I would suggest to you, based on my own personal research, that there is within what is called the 1%, which represents the 1% of the wealthiest, most powerful people on planet Earth. They represent just 1% of the total population. The remaining 99% of the total population consists of people like me and you, the working class, the middle class. Now, what's interesting, and you never hear about this in the mainstream media or establishment press or government publications, it's a secret hidden out in the open. They do not want you to know what I'm telling you. And so that's why even the, the vast majority, in fact, the overwhelming majority, of Christian prophecy sites and Christian news sites and conservative sites. And there are, by the way, and there are notable exceptions to what I'm saying, and I want to underline that. There are notable exceptions to what I'm saying. But the the overwhelming percentage of now <clears throat> the, the thought police have created a new term that's called social media influencers. So, so somebody can claim on a TV appearance that their full-time occupation is that they're an influencer. Now, I have every right to claim that I'm an influencer and a social media influencer. I have every right to claim that because I've been doing what I've been doing and influencing literally, with no exaggeration, tens of millions and millions of people in America and around the world. I've exerted an inordinate influence over a very large percentile of the global population, and not because I'm some super genius, some clever guy, but because God called me to do it. But see, here's the secret, and I want to pass it. I want to pass it on to you because you can make this secret work for your life and your ministry. When you dedicate yourself and you commit yourself to communicating the truth, a biblical worldview, a a truth theologically, a truth scientifically. So, for example, the uh, Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is a falsehood. Under no circumstances ever has it even been remotely true. And so, therefore, people who, no matter how rich and powerful and connected and how much they're in the inner circle, like Aldous Huxley and Julian Huxley and Bertrand Russell and others, all of the Fabian socialists, that inner round table in Great Britain where where they told the masses to only believe in secular humanism, transhumanism, and scientific materialism, but simultaneously while they were sucker-punching the masses into denying the multidimensional nature of reality, simultaneously they were secretly practicing all kinds of occult, satanic, Luciferian, and pagan rituals, rites, experimenting uh, with, with a wide spectrum of sorcery. And 
they learn, going all the way back to ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, going back before that to ancient Chaldea, and then after Babylon we had the, the Egyptian Empire, or what I refer to as the Pharaoh God King system. What men who were influenced by demonic entities, they were receiving regular downloads from demonic entities, and they were receiving demonic intelligence, demonic plans, demonic how-tos, and, and a quantum leap in not only their consciousness, but in their intelligence and cognitive abilities and problem-solving abilities, etc., etc. Now, we're going to turn a corner here in a minute. In fact, in seconds. So I want to prepare you for that. And without sounding cheesy and without sounding melodramatic, I just want to inform you ahead of time that we're going to make a tight turn in our travels today on the Paul McGuire Report. And we are going to collectively, together, in the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to take a quantum leap and revisit what we call reality on planet Earth. We're going to revisit it, and we're going to look at it through a fresh vision, a a fresh perspective. And when you have a fresh vision and a, a fresh perspective, what happens is you can look at the same thing that you've always been looking at until you're starry-eyed, until, until what you're studying becomes mundane and boring and, and would, would work better for you than a sleeping pill. No, if you, if you, in your travels with the Lord or in anything, business, marriage, ministry, if in your travels with the Lord, you notice, now, again, I don't want to be pedantic. I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to anybody, because that's not the intent of my heart. I want to share with you, as a fellow traveler, uh, a sojourner. That's what God called uh, Sarah and Abraham. They were sojourners. And what that meant precisely from a biblical perspective was, as sojourners, Sarah and Abraham were just passing through the land of promise and this earth. They knew that their visit on earth was temporary, and so they were called sojourners. Sojourners are people that are just passing through. It's like they're just visiting. Why? Because this world, along with the temporary world system, that is currently under the rulership of the temporary God of this world. This world is a temporary world by its very framework. And because it's a temporary world, anybody who attempts to, to build a you know, deep foundation into this present world is going to find themselves the recipient of a philosophical, theological, spiritual, uh, spiritual boomerang where you're going to find yourself, you know, running down the beach of the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean, and you picked up a, an authentic wooden boomerang from a sports store, and you want to show off in front of your kids. So you, you were taught how to throw a boomerang. I was. doesn't mean I knew anything about it, but I was taught. And so I would hurl the boomerang properly as hard and as fast and as high as I possibly could. And I would watch that, that boomerang fly into the sky, and, and the boomerang 
you know, the left side and the right side, they functioned, they looked, they looked almost like a, a chopper, a helicopter in some of the older, you know, World War II helicopters with uh, a single, single blade, you know. And so, so I would fling the uh, uh, boomerang as hard as I could, and I would watch it go way out into the sky, and then it would make basically what you could describe as a U-turn as it was spinning like a helicopter. It would make a U-turn, and then it would increase in velocity, and it would start to decline in terms of its altitude, and it would begin to accelerate. Now, here's the fun part. At this point, no matter what your mood is, no matter how tired you think you are, it dawns upon you that you're not <laughs> that you're not playing some sport, but that you have just hurled a boomerang with all of your might, soul, and strength. You have hurled a, bo- a boomerang into the skies, which is twirling as it's supposed to do. It's making a U-turn at a high elevation above you, and then the momentum that it's traveling with is causing the the you know, blade or whatever you want call it of the boomerang spin but you notice it makes a u-turn and now instead of traveling outwards to a higher elevation this boomerang is dropping significantly in altitude which is a polite way of saying crashing to some degree it's dropping in altitude and at the same time the dropping in altitude is causing it to accelerate with an increased force and increased velocity but you have one of those God-given uh, moments in life, and we all thank God for them. And we call this God-given moment in life, psychologists call it, too, an aha moment. All of a sudden, looking at the boomerang, which is turning and heading directly towards your forehead, you have an aha moment where you have like a ton of adrenaline fire into your nervous system. Your eyes are wide open. You have this instant recognition that this stupid boomerang is headed your way. In fact, it's headed right for your forehead, and it's traveling at an ever-increasing velocity. And should this boomerang land on land in the middle of your forehead, you can expect to hear either a, large, a, large, a loud crack or a, a loud reverberating thud, in which you will either be able to stand up despite the enormous impact or the blow of the boomerang hitting you in the forehead may may indeed knock you out for a minute or two, and you would be disoriented if you weren't seriously harmed. Now, the point is, the boomerang is a weapon. It's a weapon used by tribal cultures, and the reason it was an effective weapon used by tribal cultures is because, let's say you saw an animal that you could cook for dinner that night and feed your family, okay? So the, the tribal warrior fires that boomerang directly at uh, a potential source of dinner. Okay, I'm being sarcastic. So he flings the boomerang. The boomerang, to his surprise, cracks that relatively large animal on its head. The animal passes out, and the tribesmen rope down uh, the animal and cook it for dinner, and it allows them uh, as a tribe to sur- survive for another week or two. Now, I know that's kind of disgusting for most of us, and those of you that are hunters or 
have been in the military or whatever, it's no big deal to you because you've, you've been around hunting and bullets and blood. And when I say that, I always say it within the parameters of responsible, law-abiding, legal, non-violent usage of firearms or guns for legitimate legal purposes. Once you cross the line and begin to use weapons illegally, you find that your sinful nature will perpetually deceive you into thinking that you can do anything, you can break the law if it is justified. So therefore you say, okay, the Constitution says uh, we have the right to bear arms or guns. It's emphatic. But if we take the Constitution out of context, and if we take the Constitution and don't integrate it with the rest of the truth of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, we have created some kind of moral, legal, theological Frankenstein. Because the right to bear arms in a modern society is an inalienable right that we have. But it can only work if those firearms, if those guns are in the hands of mature, mentally sane and stable, responsible, uh, law-abiding adults who intend to use them strictly for protection or hunting and to use them with the utmost prudence and responsibility. Uh, Newt Gingrich said something that really caught my eye about two years ago. I quoted him in my book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. Newt made a profound statement, and I don't agree with everything Newt Gingrich says, because my deep dive research over the last 40 years has, re- has indicated to me that to a, significance, uh, to, to a significant extent, Newt Gingrich is a member or a participator in the Council in Foreign Relationship, uh, foreign relations. Uh, uh, a, a, he interfaces with Rockefeller and the globalist elite. He is a member of certain secret societies. And he appears to be a conservative, but in reality, he is a globalist, a liberal, and I guess you could say a quasi-Catholic humanist. So I remember him. I was glued to C-SPAN a number of years ago because Newt Gingrich was giving a speech, uh, like a three-hour speech that was mesmerizing because you don't usually get that kind of rich content on mainstream TV. So New Gingrich was giving a, a speech on um, the right to bear arms, our constitutional right to bear arms. And, and he is very level-headed. I wouldn't call him conservative. I would, I would call him a globalist, because that's what he appears to be. Uh, he's an insider. He's part of the establishment. He's a member of secret societies. So he made a very interesting point, though, in this editorial he wrote in a very prestigious magazine. New Gingrich said that all of your constitutional rights and freedoms in the Bill of Rights and even things in the Declaration of Independence, like we have been given life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all of these rights that we have been granted in our Constitution and Bill of Rights, they are fragile in the sense that they are totally contingent on our ability to implement those rights 
our, our, our ability to freely use those rights, our ability to uh, proclaim those rights, and our ability to, to proclaim exhaustively exactly what those rights mean. So what New Gingers was saying is that freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and all the other rights we've been given in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights by our founding fathers, they are incredibly commendable. But Newt was reminding us is that those rights that we've been given in the Constitution, which are completely unique among all the nations on planet Earth, there is no other nation on planet Earth where the people have these kinds of rights. A cheap, distorted counterfeit would be a European uh, uh, Human Rights uh, Commission and, and, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as outlined by the European Union. Another example would be the United Nations, which also has, the United Nations has a counterfeit uh, UN Convention on Human Rights, and you're guaranteed all of these rights. But these are bad counterfeits, because when you read them, as I have, and I quote them in my books, like A Prophecy of the Future of America, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 2. Uh, the day the dollar died, the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. Are you ready? Power from one high, and other books, Conquering the Matrix. All of my books build one upon another, and the essential message is that, that Newt Gingrich was trying to bring on home, is that just because these, these rights have been enshrined before you, just because People and politicians and governments give them lip service as if they were true, but they are true, doesn't mean that in your day-to-day -day life, you will actually have the ability, you will actually have the freedom, you will actually have the free access to be able to freely incorporate all of those rights in every diverse spectrum of your life. And this is where the rubber meets the road. So Newt Gingrich said, and it was, it's kind of, it was a wake-up call from him, an intellectual. And he said, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, Newt Gingrich said, wake up. You know, wake up, smell the coffee. All of your rights are only as good as your constitutional right to bear arms, to possess guns and bullets. Now, this is a, is a vitally critical matter. Newt was saying, None of your rights means a hill of beans if you don't have the firepower to defend and push forward and actually exercise or use your rights. Otherwise, it's just a big, hollow, banging drum. So Gingrich said over and over again in his article is that, you know, it's great to talk about the Bill of Rights, but unless you have aggressive protection of the right to own and possess guns and firearms and bullets, unless you have those rights aggressively protected. There are people in this world, the globalists and in our nation, who are planning right now to steal and destroy all of your rights, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and, and so on and so forth. You have a wide spectrum of rights, but there are evil people, globalists, the Luciferian elite, they are plotting, conspiring, and planning to eradicate all of your rights. And the way they're going to do it is the way they've done it in every communist, Marxist, and fascist 
nation that has been birthed on earth. And the way it goes down is always like this. First, you create a crisis. So, for example, in Nazi Germany, under the secret directions of Adolf Hitler, the Reichstag building, which was like the official government building of all of Germany, was mysteriously burned down to the ground. Now, what that did was give Hitler and the Nazis the cover to use that so-called terrorist attack to manipulate what happened during the terrorist attack and then uh, use that as a psychological warfare excuse to whip the people up into an emotional frenzy where they would vehemently uh, uh, and aggressively go after all the terrorists, all the people that were threatening their way of life. So what we learn from history, and remember, if you don't read history, you can't learn anything. People who, in, in olden days, they used the term the unlearned. Unlearned simply means you have not learned anything in terms of relevant education. People who have not learned anything in terms of relevant education, such as historical lessons, people who have not learned anything, fall into the category of being socially engineered, dumbed down, um, psychologically programmed under the influence of scientific mind control and social engineering and indoctrination. So they don't have autonomous, independent thoughts where they think for themselves. They are robotic and think as they are told to think. So again, Gingrich makes this very important point. If you don't have the guns and the ammunition to back up and protect and ensure that you really do have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, then you, you don't have those freedoms. You're just in a delusionary state. The only way you can have those freedoms on a viable level is when you have the guns, the ammunition, and the firearms to stand up, exercise your freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and other such freedoms, to stand up, exercise your freedoms, and then if any would-be tyrant or totalitarian impulse rises up and tries to steal from you what our founding fathers legally died for you to have, you're not sitting there impotent, paralyzed, frightened, bewildered, because years before this event happened, you received numerous warnings through all kinds of different media and publications and listening to speakers. You were warned over the last 30 years minimum, let's say 40 years. You, were, you learned during the last 40 years over and over and over and over and over again that your right to bear arms is contingent on you being able to successfully have the right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and you have firearms and guns used in a legal, a legal way with ammunition to protect those rights. The contemporary Christian church, the contemporary America, is caught in some kind of time warp where they have myopically lost the intense relevance of understanding these primal dynamics of survival that our forefathers understood, 
because our forefathers had to literally fight a revolu- a bloody revolutionary war uh, from independence from England. They had to fight a violent and bloody war where many British died and many Americans died. And the cost of winning their freedoms in the Revolutionary War, led by men like George Washington, was a bloody Revolutionary War, which, by the grace of God, we were victorious. But if we had not saw what was coming in the distance ahead of time, if we were not proactive, we would have ignored all the warning signs which were clearly telling us that King George of England was not going to be happy with just, you know, owning the Americas as one would own a a timeshare in some hotel chain. You may own a timeshare in in a hotel chain, but in reality, you don't own it. They own it. It's just you're, in a fancy way, renting it. So, in order for us, to, in order for the American dream to be birthed, in order for religion and the preaching of the gospel to be birthed, in order for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, in order for us to make disciples of all nations, we must have the ability technologically. I'm talking about guns and other technologies and ammunition and stuff to defend our legal rights if we lawfully and legally. Uh, use those technologies to protect our rights. Okay, but because of the prevailing naivete, essentially most Americans, including Christians, a large percentage of them, they now live in zombie land. Their brains were fried with the same motor oil grease that that they probably allegedly cooked um, the French fries in in, uh, McDonald's. It's not organic. Allegedly, that the, the grease that they cooked the French fries in would keep those French fries on a shelf in, in, in the pantry at the, at the store and probably last 10 years, and you could microwave them and reheat them instantly. Okay, so he emphasized the importance of gun ownership. Now, I'm not trying to get on the gun thing, blah, 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 but there comes incremental times in life where you have to look at your life, your loved one's life, in the mirror, calculate what you think is really going to come, worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, and make basic preparations and plans so that you and your household and loved ones can continue to survive. But not just survive, thrive. Nowhere in the Bible does a biblical worldview teach that we're just supposed to be barely scratching out a living. That is a non-biblical concept. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that God's will for mankind is to be slaves of, of some tyrannical government. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. God, when, when you see the children of Israel, or when you see Christians, or when you see Americans, and they have become slaves of an economic system, slaves of a government, slaves of, of uh, bureaucracies and globalist corporations, when they become slaves, let me suggest to you that that activity of them becoming slaves, it wasn't like a poof, the magic dragon moment. Where in a puff of smoke, you know, their slavery, the recognition of their slavery materialized. That's not how it happened. If they were paying attention, if they were renewing their mind, if they were studying, if they were developing a biblical worldview, if they were carefully functioning as a watchman and, and scouring the land 
for potential threats, if they were doing all of those things, if they were on their guard, then we would not have had to fight a full-blown revolutionary war. We wouldn't be in the mess that we're in politically, economically, environmentally, and in so many different ways. The, the, the fact that we're in a, in a major threat zone from many different angles is indicative of the fact that we've been asleep at the wheel. We have not been sober, which means awake and not drunk. We have not been sober. We have not been vigilant, which means you know we've stepped up our game in a military perspective sense, and we are walking around in a state of consciousness which could be characterized as uh, a high state of, of survival alertness. That's what God wanted from us, but we blew it. We were asleep at the wheel. And the same pattern is repeated throughout the Old Testament, and it goes all the way through the New Testament. And in every crisis chaos moment where the human race is diverted by Satan into destruction and slavery and chaos, a repetitive series of events keeps re-emerging. The repetitive series of events are teaching us that uh, we have to step up our game, and we have to be on our guard. We can't just let go. We, we, we can't be double-minded. We can't be complacent. Because the minute we choose the option of being complacent and stop being sober-minded, etc., the minute we make that very dangerous wrong choice is the very minute or nanosecond that the walls of our security, the walls of our protection, internally and externally, begin to crumble, and it is at that moment we become very vulnerable to external attacks which are designed to wipe us off the face of the earth. Because everything that you and I experience here on planet Earth, everything, when you dig deep enough at its root, it is a reflection or a magnification of what I call in my book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. All of these battles for mankind in the history of the world taking place in arts and entertainment, medicine and biology and philosophy and technology and the sciences, etc., etc., and theology and the study of the Bible, all of these things um, must be constantly scrutinized so that we can survive and thrive. And that's the critical point. God, no, it, it is the opposite of a biblical worldview to suggest that we should be just scratching along a living like a bunch of starving peasants who can't feed our families, who live in slavery, who are slaves to debt, who are slaves to armies, who are slaves to drugs, and etc., etc. God never planned out a destiny for men and women for you, your children, your husband, your wife, all the people you know, your ministry. God never planned out a destiny of lack, poverty, and slavery. That was never the blueprint or the vision of God. So what was it then? Because that's primarily what we see. I mean, you drive around Southern California. I was at somebody's house the other day, and we all shared a common memory. When we first moved to California, we had this false preconception that California was like this 
environmentally green flowers, wonderland, great interlocking, interlocking architecture, you know, the Hollywood stars. I mean, we, we misconstrued Hollywood and Southern California as some kind of wonderland, you know, with, with pristine beaches and stuff. But when you actually get to California, what you see, you don't see wonderland. You see like a high-tech digital ghetto interspersed, interspersed with enormous wealth and mansions, but you have drug dealers and prostitutes and crack addicts and, and beaches with garbage. You, have, you drive around. When I first came to L.A., it was all basically clean. You drive around huge percentages of Los Angeles, and you are right smack in the middle of homeless camps populated by people who have snuck across the border. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have compassion and feed the poor and the starving. I'm not saying that. We should. But but our infrastructure, our system, is not built to accommodate the influx of millions of millions of people who, who are coming here with no cost to themselves, whose education, whose medical, who, everything they need is being paid for by our tax dollars. And so our nation is collapsing. So you drive around these massive areas of L.A. and other places across the United States, and there is piles of human feces, the smell of urine, raggedy old uh, uh, outdoors camping tents, uh, homeless people wrapped in blankets or whatever they can to stay warm, huddled together in makeshift villages. Fortunately, different ministries and different outreaches are feeding them, giving water, bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not blaming the homeless people, but there's something desperately wrong. Our system is so broken that we don't have available monies to to alleviate the suffering of people inside our own borders. And so this presents us with uh, uh, a dilemma. Now, we're going to turn the corner again, and and we're going to take a quick look at, okay, we understand a lot of the problems. We understand, based on current trends, many of these problems are going to increase as time goes on. We, we got that, Paul. Okay. It's good that we got that. Most people haven't gotten that far. Now, the next question is, what do we do about it? How do we solve these problems? We must reject the idea based on a Luciferian lie that goes something like this. Many Christians and many people will echo the words from within their own brains. They'll say stuff like, these problems are impossible to solve. Or or they'll misinterpret the words of Jesus Christ and say something like, well, you know, Jesus said that the world always had poverty. So, you know, in the last days there will be poverty. All of that is true, but that doesn't give you a justification for turning a blind eye to your brother or sister's suffering. So, the critical thing here is that we we have to rightly divide the Word of God. That's the critical thing. It's like having a compass. If you're going to go hiking in, in, in the mountains where it's all dark, okay, like let's say up in Alaska, you're hiking in, in the wilderness of Alaska, it's all dark. And all, if you don't have any electronics and you've got a... a, a a magnet that gives you the direction that you're supposedly walking in. But somebody messed up with your magnet, and it's kind of demagnetized. So you really don't know with any confidence that when your magnet is pointing to the North Pole, that that, that's really where it is. 
It, it could be the South Pole. So your poles, your South Pole, your North Pole, you know, your East and West, and all of these things that you relied on your magnet to guide you that has now been jeopardized by, by the potential damage against your magnet. You can end up walking somewhere and devoured by bears, and, and that's at the end of you. So the questions that we, we have to come to grips with is understanding the nature of the problem, understanding what beliefs and what behaviors we engaged in that brought us to this present place of destruction. Because we can't undo it, we can't solve it, we can't rectify it unless we know what it is and concerning how we messed it up. It's only then that we can re-engineer it. So that's critical. Number two is, and this has to begin, I've already been doing this for four years, many of you have joined me. The tragedy is, is that the, the largest percentage of Christians and conservatives and people who believe in America, the largest percentage of them are completely oblivious, completely ignorant, uh, completely unaware of the nature of the major problems confronting us. They're unaware of the fact that our reality paradigm, final reality, or true truth, it teaches us that this reality system that we live in is arbitrary. It was invented by the globalist elite, the Luciferian elite, as a multidimensional mechanism to enslave the masses and to get the masses to work as slaves uh, for them. In other words, you work your tail off for their profit and enrichment. So it's critical to understand the dynamics of how that works. When you talk to most Christians, they have invested so little in the acquisition of knowledge that they really have very little understanding about how anything works. And so you ha- then you have to pray and seek the Lord, and you have to ask yourself an extremely sobering question, which is simply this. God, for whatever reason, God put me on this earth at this time period in, in this nation. That's a reality. And since God put me here at this particular time period, what is the mission? What is the calling? What is my purpose? What exactly is it that God wants me to do? And then how do I go about doing it? Because it's obvious that the the primary structures of our civilization, the pillars and cornerstones of our civilization in in fields like medicine and architecture, science and biology, and many, many other fields. The pillar stones of our entire civilization are rupturing, and they're, and they're becoming weak, and they, they have the capacity of collapsing from within. So we need to understand that. We need to understand, in terms of chronology, how fast it will be till we arrive at that destination. And then, above all things, we need a clear understanding and plan and vision of exactly what we need to do, how we're going to do it, how we're going to get the resources to make it happen. And based on the present trajectory of speed, we have to intelligently assess the problem and we have to intelligently completely reinvent our our approach to managing 
the reality that God gave us as a gift. You see, this kind of language represents a, a, a certain kind of consciousness, low or high. It should be the norm within the Christian culture. It should be the norm among Americans that when we speak, our words and our vocabulary should be clearly reflecting this higher state of consciousness, because it's only to the degree that we operate in this higher state of consciousness that we can that we can draw upon the power, power from on high, like in Dunamis, to to change our world before it implodes violently. And doing that would be a fulfillment of Jesus Christ's commands to us when he said to his disciples, Occupy until I come. We're not supposed to be bored, daydreaming, taking a nap until Jesus comes. No, conversely, we're supposed to occupy the land until Jesus comes. That means going back to what was the original mission, what was the original purpose for mankind in the beginning. That's where we start. So, for those of us that read the Bible and study it, which should be all of us, we read the Genesis account of creation, we read that God created Adam and Eve to be the ruler, to to rule and reign over planet Earth. So God created Adam and Eve to rule and reign over planet Earth as ones with delegated authority from the Most High God. So we are to rule and reign planet Earth, and we are to function as kings and queens of planet Earth with the authority of God Almighty. Okay, that supernatural authority gives us the supernatural and natural power to make things happen. So, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to be the rulers of planet Earth. He, he created them to be the kings and queens of planet Earth. He created them to become um, the, the rulers of planet Earth. But, but not in the sense of Lucifer or Satan or the god of this world, because those examples of leadership always rest on spiritual darkness and deception. So you have a counterfeit authority, you have counterfeit power, you have counterfeit rulership. And instead of serving the people in love, God is love, instead of serving the people, instead of bettering the people, which was at one time in human history the intended goal of all those that were wealthy, that had political power. In fact, the French had an expression for it called noblesse. I'm having a mental blank. Uh, oh, it's noblesse oblige. And that means the obligation of the nobility, the obligation of the kings and the queens and, and the filthy rich. So the French philosophers had this viewpoint that if you were extremely wealthy, powerful, and rich, then you were nobility. You were like in the God status. But as a result, you had an obligation to your fellow man and woman and to society, noblesse oblige, to, to fulfill the obligations of nobility, which was to use your money, power, and authority to better life for mankind now and in the future. This, this lofty idea that was birthed in, in parts by many different civilizations, the Greeks, the Romans, 
the Chaldeans, even the ancient Israelites, um, they, they all carried with them this concept of the god-kings, the pharaohs, pharaoh god-kings, uh, Nimrod. They all carried with them a, a, a notion that their wealth, their power, their knowledge uh, bestowed upon them a, a responsibility to help and, and bring up others who did not have these advantages. And this is the way society rolled. Now, when America and the rest of the world, this is around the late 1800s, going into like 1917, there were a number of massive technological, scientific, and uh, uh, the integration of the supernatural and occult forces with what I just mentioned. So the fundamental shift in the consciousness of mankind was simply this. Man no longer perceived himself as a special, unique, created being with unique and distinct DNA created by the Supreme Being, who bestowed upon us the DNA of God. Now, that means that mankind, men and women, were created by God to be an entirely different species, a higher order of being. So. In the hierarchy of God's creation, the highest level being in the universe is the supreme being, God Almighty. Then after God Almighty, the supreme being, uh, the second most highest level being are, are men and women with human DNA, men and women. And then below that, it would be uh, the angels, both demons and God's angels. They would be third on the list of high-level creations. And then, you know, the animal kingdom and fish and microbes and stuff like that. But the, the imperative thing to understand is God said in his word that the only people that can be saved, the only people that can receive eternal life by faith, the only people that can have the DNA of God, the only people that can get into heaven for all eternity, the only people that when they die, they will instantly go into the kingdom of heaven, the prerequisite, the mandatory prerequisite for all of that is you must have put your faith in Christ and you must have been authentically born again. You came to a place in your life where you asked God to forgive you of your sins. You asked God to come into your life and make you born again through the Spirit of God. And when you did that, praying a prayer of faith, God freely granted you eternal life. You did nothing to earn it. Eternal life came to you strictly by faith. And so, in the nanosecond you die, whenever that is, and your physical body dies, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the minute you die, you will come alive and resurrect, and you will actually materialize instantaneously in the form of your brand new Body, which is eternal. You'll never age. You'll never get sick. You will live eternally with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, uh, and, and the new heaven. Paradise, which is what Adam and Eve were granted by God in the beginning. The world was not the nuke-filled ghetto that it, that it is today. The world in the time of Adam and Eve was uh, not a ghetto. It was paradise on earth in every sense of the word. Just allow your imagination to flow and allow your imagination to, 
to depict for you a vision of what paradise must have looked like, smelled like, felt like, etc., etc. And with, with very little effort, your mind will construct, you know, like huge segments from luscious tropical islands, you know, the good parts of Hawaii and stuff with the, the, the green foliage and the luscious fruit and, and the ocean waves and the dolphins and the endless exotic flowers. And there's, there's much more to it than that. But, but that's just a glimpse of what paradise would be like. And then imagine you don't get sick, you're not dying, you, things aren't going bad, you're not struggling, you don't have some horrible enemy, and, and life is really wonderful, and God loves you. Well, that all is part of what happens when you live in paradise. And so you're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, for all eternity. And that is so far beyond any pathetic. Imagine uh, a little boy or a little girl doodling with colored crayons or ink markers. And they were given the assignment to draw a picture of paradise or the Garden of Eden. So some malicious gang member from the streets in the neighborhood uh, arranges to have soft drinks brought in for the, the young students, and um, tragically, the soft drinks are laced with a low dosage of LSD or other psychedelics, which make you hallucinate. So the kids are sitting down drawing pictures of Eden or Paradise, and they're microdosing a psychedelic like LSD, which makes their, their vision of Paradise look all distorted, weird, crazy. and they are desperately trying to capture a viable vision of what paradise and eternal life and the Garden of Eden will look like. But because, because some evil person laced their, their soft drinks with LSD, they end up drawing a nightmare. Instead of drawing heaven, it looks more like hell. Instead of it being an American dream, it looks more like an American nightmare. Instead of the beautiful colors and, and the soothing sounds and, and the lush rolling of the ocean waves as they slide upon the beaches, instead of all that beauty and richness, it's like you're walking in, in you know the movie It's a Wonderful Life, and he almost dies, and then this angel comes, and, and he gets to see what this small town would have turned into had he not been born. He gets to visit it, and he visits it, and basically, if he had not been born, the town that he lived in would have been absolute hell with prostitution, gambling, drunkenness, people in debt. When I saw the movie, which was directed by Frank Capra, the great filmmaker, and this movie was made, black and white movie, big time stars years ago, and we had the privilege, my wife and I were big fans of Frank Capra. So my wife, who was an actress at the time, wrote Frank Capra a personal letter thanking him for his films. And she sent one of her, uh, you know, actress uh, uh, black and white photograph headshots to him with a, with a kind note expressing why she liked her movies. And to our delightful surprise, this meant more to us than so, other, so many other big shots. The fact that Frank Capra actually wrote her back personally and told her that he would, if, she, if he was still directing films today, 
he would run to uh, Castor. Well, I don't know if he was being polite or that's how he really felt or whatever, but he was a del delightful man who believed that movies can light up the human soul. And so in this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra, it's interesting that, that, that the evil guys that are destroying the entire nation and destroying the entire town by buying up all the, by bankrupting the people and then buying up all the real estate. And then after they buy up all the real estate, they rent the people, the houses they formerly owned at an exorbitant price. And they abuse the people and turn them into slaves. Now, what's interesting about that is I don't know the year that It's a Wonderful Life was made, but that told me that Frank Capra and other genius creative types who had the soul, that he was well aware of the evil of the evil that existed in the Federal Reserve banking system, in the banking system, among the bankers, among the international bankers, among the globalist elite, and among the Luciferian elite. He was aware of all that. He was aware of the world system the satanic world system, and he was aware of God's system. And I know that because I've read some of his personal correspondence where he's writing to somebody about the reality of God, the living God of the Bible. God is love. So, Frank Capra, his ministry and mission and calling was to, to use major motion pictures to influence you know, tens of millions of people globally with the light of God and the light of the Word of God. All of us, we, well, we have different callings and different missions. He is, we have to be obedient. Now, if every one of us would make the decision to be obedient and to do what God has called us to do, the fact of the matter is, based on the laws of God that govern how this universe and this world move and change and so on and so forth, judging and evaluating by those laws, of creation, it would not take that much time if God's, God's people united with one purpose and one intent and began, based on the Bible, to rebuild America based on an authentic biblical vision. Now, let me emphatically say something to you. I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to suggest that occupying until he comes and, and building a, a new America based on a biblical vision. I am not even remotely suggesting that these should replace things like the Great Commission, going into all the world and preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations, saving souls, uh, winning souls to Jesus Christ. You know, that's the, the, those are the foundational building blocks of preaching the gospel. Occupying until he comes is never meant to replace the fundamentals, which is soul winning and effective evangelism. That's why I ask you at this moment, because, you know, the spiritual battle has been raging for quite some time, and we're seeing a flare up of unprecedented proportions. On one hand, we are teetering on the edge of World War III. If you calculate the plans of Iran, Russia, Ukraine, EU, America, uh, Israel, Hamas, the Middle East, Israel, <clears throat> um, we have, you know, the communist Chinese and their secret laboratories. We have the existence of the trillionaire class globalist elite. And, and without naming names, 
but speaking in terms of, of realities, I, I need to say to you something. There, and this is the hardest thing, this is the hardest thing. Well, I want to take a mini break, like a 60-second mini break. And then when we come back, we're going to blow open the doors of spiritual deception and lies. We're going to dynamite it with dunamis. We're going to blow it open. And we're going to land truth in the hearts of millions of people all across this nation. And in the name of Jesus, we agree together that what we do in prayer is we're going to ignite the flames of an authentic biblical third great awakening and authentic biblical revival. And we're not going to take no for an answer, no retreat, no surrender. We're going to move forward in faith. Why? Because the Bible says our perception should be that the enemies that we see in our land of promise, the giants of old, our enemies, um, the reality is God has told us to go into the promised land. The reality is that God has enhanced our perception. And we now see them through the vision. We now see them through the perception where they are small, puny, insignificant, and they look like grasshoppers in our eyes. Simultaneously, when you line up in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, that releases the supernatural power of Jesus Christ to reconform reality. And then that will download in your mind and heart the ability to, to reconfigure reality and perceive reality properly. So now we begin to see ourselves like giants. Yeah, we see ourselves as we should really see ourselves. We see ourselves as giants, and we see the so-called you know, Nephilim giants as grasshoppers. So as the Bible says, they became like the giants became like grasshoppers in our sight, and they became like grasshoppers in their sight. And then when it came to our perception of ourselves, we now properly began to see ourselves as God sees us. We began to see ourselves as kings and queens and giants. And supernaturally, we are, we are well able to conquer the land. We are well able to conquer the land. And so when we identify these truths, when we repent of the bias and rejection modalities in response to these truths, and when we do what we should do, which is accept these truths by faith as being true, allowing them to take up root as spiritual seeds in our heart, the next thing you know, a supernatural, radical power of the Holy Spirit transformation occurs in our inner men and women. And this is, this is what goes down. There is an infusion supernaturally of the life force of Almighty God into our inner man and woman. That life force is an infusion of power from on high, which means the dunamis. Once we are anointed with the dunamis, the dynamite explosive power of God, the sheer force, the sheer power that is released from that detonation vaporizes all the satanic strongholds and lies and deception that is out there. Anything that is created with the intention of erecting a stronghold or a barrier against the truth exploding into every dimension of life, it literally melts. Remember the movie, the first or second Terminator movie? 
and you've got this weird Terminator robot cop chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger. But somehow his arm and body get so superheated that this Terminator cop robot, his his arm begins to melt like liquid silver, like like blazing hot liquid silver, and begins to melt, and the liquid silver begins to pour down the cracks of the floor and, and pour out into the streets. Radical transformation, where one form of reality is completely re-engineered by the power of God into another form or structural reality. Okay, so we're going to be back in just a microsecond. And when I come back, I want to very quickly and efficiently deposit in you the awareness, the knowledge, the download of precisely what God, I believe God is calling you to do as an individual and me to do as an individual and for us to do and our loved ones, etc., what we're supposed to do collectively, because we have been called on a mission, like the pilgrims and Puritans. We have been called with a calling, a mission. We have been given a vision to accomplish. And this does not undo Bible prophecy. This does not undo the return of Jesus Christ. This does not undo the second coming of Jesus. Okay, Very important not to confuse or create a conflict when, in fact, there is no conflict. Now, when we come out, when we come back, pray for me. Pray that the Lord would anoint what I'm saying so that the truth and the power of the gospel would be communicated to large numbers of people in America and all over the world. Pray that the Lord would give me the words. Pray that the Lord would give me the ability to communicate this message simply and efficiently. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello. Once again, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. So let's gather up uh, all the overflowing containers. Not containers is an antiquated word. Let's gather up all the memory sticks that hold this vast amount of bits of information thumb drives, external hard drives. Let's gather up in the form of electronic data, but the original source code, of course, is spiritual data, the Holy Spirit, truth, power from on high, which is the dunamis, the explosive dynamite power of God. You know, one of the things that that I've had to deal with my entire ministry from the very beginning is people who listen to me They'll plagiarize my my articles and books. They will use like exhaustively my material from conferences and TV shows and radio shows. They will. Uh, uh, I don't want to use the word steal because that would imply that I know their motive. You know, a lot of times, especially in today's digital electronic world, people quote people. And they, and they forgot that they quoted people because everybody's deluged with information. But my wife and I talk about this all the time. As an author, if you're a, an author, a painter, a writer, a creative person in any area, you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The way you know for sure that a person has plagiarized your work, your writings, your, your ideas or whatever, 
the 100% fail-safe way of knowing whether or not they plagiarize your material is most writers or musicians or whatever have studied, if they're any good, they've studied being an author or a musician or whatever, and they know deeply what constitutes their own work, intellectually, philosophically, creatively, or whatever, versus what would constitute the work of a different, another writer or musician or whatever. And you could be talking about the same general uh, subject matter, but when a writer, as I do, a creative writer, as I am, or a musician or whatever, they they will, as part of your creative writing or creative musician stuff, music, what will happen is you will inevitably, and my wife and I call this, you'll leave your signature. That means you have a specific, stylized, creative way by which you communicate that that is different than anybody else on planet Earth. And and theoretically, if other people are are originating their own creativity, they too would have uh, leave a signature in their work. That that it's it's more than just putting your initials and signing your name to a, to a painting canvas or putting your name on the cover of a book. It's it's a living indicator, and it's subtle, and usually. The subtlety is lost upon the general public, but the author, the musician, or whatever, the sculptor, they when they see their signature, in other words, somebody plagiarizing their material, and then we all, in our creative endeavors, implement what could be called idiosyncrasies, certain styles, certain styliz- uh, stylizations, certain methods and ways we string words and information together. I mean, if I wanted to, or if I was teaching a writing class, I could write down for you, let's say, 30 different signatures that I routinely leave in my work or a byproduct of my writing of articles, speaking, books, etc. It's just, it's just, my signature is a way of saying this written material was written by me and conceived by me. It's not an ego thing. It's simply the fact that when I write, I express myself intentionally. I've developed, I've worked at, when musicians, you know what I'm talking about. I've worked at developing my own stylization, my own signature. So, I mean, to give you an idea, and and inevitably, when I, I I usually don't have time to, but if I do try to look it up to see, did this guy or girl rip this off from me? Usually they leave a trail, but it's but it's easy for me because since I'm the originator, I see it immediately. Certain phrases, I like. So, for example, some people say that a lot of my written work is reminds them of science fiction. Well, they got it. Not all of it, but that's intentional. That is part of my signature. That is part of my style. You'll see that I will weave methodically and intentionally. I will weave. Very high-tech, scientific, technological, transhumanist, digital, artificial intelligence, multi-dimensional uh, material. I'll weave that with, and I'll connect it immediately to verbiage and words 
that are more reflective of the King James English from the King James Bible or Shakespeare, or what is more likely the case, I will weave the high-tech sci-fi technological stuff. I'll weave it in. I'll, I'll synergize it with, uh, let's say, the equivalent of a King James Bible style of writing, uh, more subdued, uh, less high voltage, more, more uh, tamed down, which I don't like because, you see, I'm, if I'm called to wake people up and I'm communicating in a tamed down style, Essentially, what we're saying is I'm reinforcing them in their sleep state rather than truly waking them up. And revival, you see, I've studied revival intensely by seeking the Lord, by experiencing revival, by reading books on the history of revival and reading the Bible. And revival, there are laws to revival. There are, it's like a mathematical formula. So, for example, in America, we're in critical need of revival. But there are things that Satan can erect, satanic strongholds, that can block the full release and force of revival. So I was, I don't know, I think it was either on, uh, I think it was on Facebook, I think. A big full-page ad, multicolored, and they're advertising uh, a major conference. And the name of the conference is called Dunamis. And then on the bottom of the poster, there's... I don't know, there's like 20 squares which feature the pictures of all the different leaders and authors participating in the Dunamis Conference and the topics. Okay, now, when I originally wrote Power From On High, which, by the way, literally means the Dunamis Dynamite Power of God or the Dunamis Explosive Dynamite Power of God. So when I originally wrote Power From On High, which is a synonym, or dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, the explosive dynamite power of God. When I, I, I talked it over with my wife, Chris, and I said, um, you know, I said, from a marketing standpoint, a PR standpoint, a promotional standpoint, the choice of the title that I'm using, Power From On High, is not a title that somebody would use who's, who's highest objective was marketing, PR, promotion, and sales. Not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way. It's the, the verbiage power from on high is, is somewhat passe, tragically, because the experience by modern evangelicals and modern Christians, the experience of truly experiencing power from on high or the dunamis is, is not a ongoing present-day experience or present-day reality. It, unfortunately, despite its incredible importance, it, it has drifted uh, into the collective memory of previous generations of Christians, going back to the Pilgrims and Puritans, going back to uh, Jonathan Edwards, the father of the First Great Awakening, going back to... Uh, uh, Charles Finney, the father of the Second Great Awakening. And so, in fact, I got the title, Power from on High. First, it, they were words used by Jesus. You know, he said, go to, to his disciples, go tarry in Jerusalem till the Father clothes you. Tarry in Jerusalem till the Father clothes you with power from on high or the dunamis. So, I remember when I was a very young baby Christian, there was a very humdrum covered book. It was like a 
a putrid medium colored gray book. Not not attractive at all. But it the title of the book in large letters was Power from on High by Charles Finney. Okay. And the whole book was about how to walk with the dunamis dynamite explosive power of God or power from on high. And then in the center of the cover, there's a simple illustration of a heart. Then there's a hand, which is holding a hammer. And you see the hand with the hammer slam against the picture of the heart. And all these fractures and cracks are erupting from the picture of the heart. So the force of the hammer blow, power from on high, smashes and disintegrates the religious wall or barrier that causes modern Christians to have a hard heart when it comes to things like receiving power from on high or the dunamis dynamite power of God. So I never forgot the picture. I never forgot the title. But as I told my wife, I said, you know, this is not, from, from a marketing standpoint, this is not a title that you use. But I said, I don't care whether from a marketing standpoint this is a title you use or not. And not only that, generally I care about the numerical number of books sold because I want to reach people. But remember, my ultimate priority, my ultimate goal is never just money. And it's never just how many books that I sell, although those things are important. My ultimate goal is how many people did I reach for Jesus Christ? Um, Did did this, God spoke to me in prayer and fasting and seeking his face and told me that, and still small voice, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, This is the most important missing truth in the body of Christ in America and the world today. Paul, I want you, despite opposition, despite the fact that you will be attacked, Paul, I want you to use your platform, to use your influence to ignite uh, and, and bring back into the discussion and consciousness of Christians terms and truths like power from on high and the dunamis dynamite explosive power from God. So, I knew going into it that I was not choosing a title strictly based on marketing appeal. In fact, if I was to choose a title based on marketing appeal, I wouldn't use power from on high or dunamis or something like that, because some Christians have been deceived falsely into developing a bias against those truths. So, my wife understood this because I've done this a number of times. I said, honey, I'm going to use the title Power from on High, whether it's popular or not. I'm going to use it because, for me, success in terms of the ministry value and the mission value and doing what God wants me to do at this critical time in prophetic history, the way I measure success, which is based on what I believe God, how God measures success, the way I measure success is, can I effectively and efficiently take these all-important truths, like power from on high and the dunamis dynamite power from God, can I take these all-important truths and reintroduce them once again into the consciousness, into the collective mindset of evangelical and Bible-believing Christians and Christians in general in America and around the world? It will be a success, even if they talk about it in terms of controversy. 
even if they attempt to attack it, it will be a success because the mere talking about it causes there to be an infusion of the truth of God's word into the lives of millions of believers. So success would be, in part, the mere reintroduction of power from on high and the dunamis. Then the rediscovery of the truth, which is simply this. A church and Christians can accomplish absolutely nothing unless, by faith, they develop total reliance on a supernatural power of God, power from on high, and the dunamis dynamite power of God. It is only when the church, as Jesus told the early disciples, it is only when the church is clothed with power from on high, or the dunamis dynamite power of God, it is only then that it has the supernatural power of Almighty God to defeat the devil, the principalities and powers, and to ignite with the dunamis dynamite explosive force to ignite an authentic, biblical, great awakening, third great awakening, which will shake this nation and spread revival across America and around the world if it's a conditional. It's a conditional promise. God never guaranteed me that this would happen. He simply said to me, this is what I want to happen, Paul. This is, this is what my vision is, Paul. But he did not guarantee that it would happen. He said, but, but the manifestation of this vision is based entirely on the willingness or lack of willingness of my people to repent of their sins, to seek the face of God, to become intercessory prayer warriors, and to contend in spiritual warfare for the kingdom of heaven release of the dunamis dynamite power of God, otherwise known as power from on high. So it's not just guaranteed. There has to be genuine repentance, and genuine repentance considering the real things that are important to God, such as not believing his word, such as cowardice in, in face of the greatest spiritual battle, and so on and so forth. So I wanted to reintroduce this forgotten concept because the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the third great awakening, which potentially can be upon us, are all released when God's people are clothed with power from on high. Because it, it, it injects them with a supernatural dunamis dynamite explosive force of God. Now, going back to this ad from yeah, the, 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 the pictures of the people and their names are so tiny, I really I couldn't read their names and I couldn't read their topics or, you know, a little bit I got. And, but the, the giant title for the conference, and this is being advertised now, was called Dunamis. Okay? Now, that immediately registered to me that the promoters, the founders, the key writers, the leaders behind this specific conference, Dunamis, that they had become familiar with my work, that they had be, been influenced by my work, that they had been motivated by my work. And the reason is, is because they incorporated my signature as an author. And, and, and yes, those are biblical words, but believe me, those words are not fashionable and are not used by just about any Christian author anywhere. In fact, those were considered no-no words in the Christian culture. So here's this group of Christians uh, very boldly using the word dunamis. Where did they get that idea? Well, it's possible they got it directly from the Bible. It's possible. But remember, this dunamis conference of theirs came immediately on the tails of uh, my promoting my book, Power From On High, Dunamis, aggressively for over a year to, to, you know, huge numbers of people on the Internet. 
and other media. So the fact of the matter is, by using the word dunamis for their conference title, they didn't acknowledge probably to the average person, but they acknowledged definitely to me uh, that they got the idea from my book, my writings, and my teachings, which I'm happy for, which I, which was the intended reason why I chose such an odd title, Power from on High and Dunamis. But as is often the case, and this is not about ego, this, ego, this is about doing what's right. But as, as is often the case, people will, will steal my ideas, thoughts, and everything else, use them as their own, and that's, that's where I have a problem. If you simply gave me credit and acknowledged me for what are, are, what are, which are the facts, that you got the idea from my books and my teachings, etc., because the statistical likelihood of these two parallel tracks meeting up is pretty, pretty much a stretch. So the point is, um, they, they, they use my work without any... You see, in the secular world, if you have honor as a writer, a painter, a musician, or whatever, generally speaking, you will attempt to give credit to the person that you've got your, your writing, your words, your names, your, your ideas from. It's considered not only a legal obligation, it's considered an ethical, moral obligation. But I have discovered that Christians are really one of the worst offenders and notorious offenders for stealing the written work, the visual work, the music work, all kinds of work of other people, and then acting as if it was their own and running with it. The appropriate thing to do would have been some kind of acknowledgement uh, that Dunamis, the dynamite power of God, uh, uh, power from on high. Um, we would like to acknowledge uh, Paul McGuire of Paul McGuire Ministries for helping seed the idea, or whatever. It's simply a polite courtesy that is done among professionals in whatever area of communication. So this happens all the time. I've had people steal my book titles and then print them out. I, I could look at the shelf behind me, and there's so many book titles that I've written that have been stolen by Christian authors. <laughs> it's sad. It's really sad. And then they steal the prophecy. I had this guy who claimed to be a prophet who gave uh, an hour prophecy, and it was the rage among certain theological camps in the body of Christ, because it was a prophecy about the future of America. And people were just going berserk after reading it. You know, It was exciting them. You know, and but this prophet claimed that he was a prophet, and he claimed that God supernaturally downloaded into him all the prophecies in in the message he gave. Well, it, that simply was outrageously not true. What he did is he plagiarized almost word for word in many cases my entire or significant segments of my book, my messages on TV and radio and the internet. He he took my stuff without permission, without acknowledgement, which is an expected courtesy, and then claimed that everything that he stole from me was a supernatural prophecy from God that God gave him. Now, I didn't lose any sleep over it, but again, this happens a lot. I could keep going, but I'm not going to because I've got better things to do. Okay. The point is, 
that we are in a critical time period. Now, one thing I will say, and that is, hey, one way or another, the word of God got out. If I get cheated out of the deal, no, I don't want that, but I trust in God, okay? I trust in God. And that means I trust God to reward me. So, So no, I don't walk around like a gullible fool, and neither should you. No, should I walk around like a soft target allowing people to rip me off? Sometimes, depending on the situation, I will deal with it publicly. And it will be direct, surgical, and uh, enough said on that. So the point is that I'm running the race for Jesus. If somebody steals my sermon and calls it a prophecy from God and people get saved, (laughs) you know what? I'm not encouraging that that kind of thing, but but at least people got saved, and that's what that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Okay, so I want to I want to give you this information very quickly. The time period we're in, we're in a state of intense flux, transformation, and change. We are teetering with the financial system, uh, and it could go any number of ways, which would include. A federal Federal Reserve note, dollar, backed by something of tangible value like gold or something else. It could be a competing global currency, such as the currency being platformed by the BRICS nations, and that would include China and Russia and Iran and many other nations. They want to be the global currency. Remember, whoever it is control, whoever it is that controls the global currency has an enormous advantage in the creation of wealth, an enormous advantage. And right now, that's up for grabs on the global stage. We have, and this is very disturbing, but I've written about it in in the archives of my program. I've written about it in sequence in my books at paulmcguire.us. I'll simply say it this way, because, because whenever I speak the truth, which is on every program, I get threatened to be take, taken down by the big uh, social media companies. I am taken down. I am rigged. They, they artificially lower me. They lower my standing on the uh, internet. So it makes it, it, their goal is to make it look like I have far fewer followers than I actually do. You see, I have access to certain internal reports um, generated by this ministry, which give me the accurate number of viewers and followers and watchers and listeners of Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, because we have a multiple, multiple uh, different and varied social media outreaches. So uh, whenever you see somebody out there slugging it out and speaking the truth, not just like fake truth, but really speaking the truth, they are, they're going to be attacked. They're going to be targeted. And they use sophisticated mechanisms to do that. They artificially lower your rankings. They they artificially lower how many viewers and listeners and watchers and followers you have. And then they use an entire arsenal of digital weapons to essentially seek and destroy you, to distort your image, to promote false uh, narratives about you. And and what you got to realize, folks, is I thank God for each and every one of you and what God is doing through, through you. But some of us, like myself, 
we're in this war for real. We're in the greatest battle for real. And there are powerful organizations and groups and agencies that are literally financed with trillions of dollars, and they have hit lists, and they uh, are in the process of bringing people down and, and directing and creating the narrative and embedding propaganda in the hearts and minds of America, because America is the last nation on earth that, that reflects the light of the Bible, the light of Christianity, and the light of Jesus Christ. And that makes America and anybody who stands for Christian values a target to this Luciferian elite. So, now is the time for us to rise. I keep seeking the Lord in prayer, and the Lord keeps speaking these words to me continually, in the middle of the night, in the day, and, and you know, driving. The Lord keeps saying to me, uh, tell my people that it is time to rise. Tell my people, and the Lord's speaking to me in a still, small voice, tell my people that the Lord is saying to them, it is time to rise. It is time to rise now. Now, it's interesting that the Lord chose those words because in the book, The Babylon Code, that I wrote with Troy Anderson, and the book, Trump Trumpocalypse, which I wrote with Troy Anderson, I shared a supernatural vision I had uh, in, uh, uh, let's see, it was 2012. I was praying and fasting for America in my office, and my wife was lying down next to me uh, on the couch in the office, and all of a sudden, uh, I, I used the word supernatural vision very advisedly, very reservedly, and very prudently. Uh, all of a sudden, I had one of the few, and I don't know how many I've had, but it's not, it's not been a giant amount, maybe three or four, approximately. I've had three or four, approximately, unique and different and what I would consider authentic biblical visions in my life. And in this vision, as I was repenting for America, as I was repenting for my own sins, um, all of a sudden, my body was set on fire with the most intense heat, and I felt like I was burning. I mean, I, I was burning. I felt like burning, man. My fingers were burning. My body was burning. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was taken up into the heavens, or heavenlies, and I was looking down on planet Earth, and I was looking specifically down on the North American continent. And beginning in the West Coast, I began to see Christians, men and women, all up and down Southern California, Northern California. They were, they, they were rising and worshiping God and praying and interceding for America. And as they stood to rise, I heard the Lord say these words to me. They are starting to rise. They are starting to rise. They are starting to rise in prayer. And I began to see countless numbers of people starting to rise in prayer. And as they rose in prayer, interceding and engaging in spiritual warfare, the glory of God exploded from within them, and they were lit up, and, and they, they appeared like bright, intense lights. And I saw all these bright, intense lights popping up down the entire East Coast, no, the entire West Coast of California as people obeyed God and started to rise in prayer. And then this represented an authentic biblical revival, the explosion of the dunamis. And then I saw this, these bursts of light slowly began to move across the country from the West Coast to the East Coast, 
up to the north, down to the south. And it represented the, the birth of an authentic biblical revival exploding. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said, this will only happen. This is my, what you're seeing, Paul, is my will. And this is a potential future that could happen in America. But the Lord then said to me, in order for this to happen, my people must begin to seriously repent of their sins. And as intercessory prayer warriors, they must seriously repent of the sins of America. To the degree, the Lord said, that they repent of the sins of America and their own sins and the sins of the churches. To the degree that they're obedient in doing that, says the Lord, it is to that degree that I will ignite an authentic biblical revival that will sweep from the West Coast to the East Coast, and then it will spread across the different nations of the world, the EU, Russia, the Ukraine, the Middle East, the Asian nations, Africa, South America, the Americas. It will spread all over the world in preparation, the Lord said, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, theologically, I don't want to get into a momentary debate, although it's important, uh, regarding the rapture versus uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. All the Lord showed me was that he was returning quickly, and that before the Lord returned quickly, the Lord said to me that, in a small voice, the Lord said, to the degree that my people will repent of their sins and the sins of the nation and the sins of the church, to the degree that my people are serious and repent of their sins, it is to that degree that I will ignite and release an authentic third biblical awakening that will spread across America and then spread across the world. Now, this is important because there was much, much more to the vision that the Lord was depositing in my inner man supernaturally. It was like there were volumes of information that the Lord gave me, but, but he wasn't ready to open up the volumes at that moment. He wasn't ready for me to, to share all that was contained in this volumes of information regarding the future. So I will just sh- share with you just brief excerpts of what the Lord downloaded into my inner man, because I believe the time is now and the Lord wants to encourage you. So let me say what the Lord set my heart on fire with, with the dunamis dynamite power of God. The Lord said to me that we're fighting a supernatural battle in the invisible realm on a level that we've never fought it before since the time of Adam and Eve, the time of the Nephilim, the Rephium, the time of the great flood of Noah, and so on and so forth, the time when the fallen angels descended upon Mount Hermon, the time of Mystery Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, the time of the Pharaoh God King system, etc., etc. And the Lord said to me that mankind, when you go back to its historical roots, and the proof would be things like the pyramids and these giant statues of giant men, statues of giants, pyramids, architectural marvels of of what some people claim or allege is the remnants of Atlantis or some super-civilization like Brill or Thule buried deep beneath Antarctica and all these other areas, okay? And the Lord had, in terms of a long discourse, the Lord began teaching me when I was about 13 years old about the reality of scientific discovery. The Lord began to teach me about 
the reality of uh, the supernatural and the invisible realm and how science and technology and uh, the supernatural were all, all existed on one continuum. Then the Lord spoke to me and said that we're in a last day's battle, and already there has been the release of supernatural weaponry, what some people would have considered to be sci-fi weapons and sci-fi technology. Sci-fi technologies and sci-fi weapons are being used now in the open, but just the average American has been so dumbed down, they can't see it, even though it's right in front of their faces. So, for example, it is my personal belief that what destroyed Lahaina uh, on, on the island of Maui was a directed energy beam weapon. Now, I talk about this. I talk about it years in advance of it actually happening in my books, like um, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind. The warning, one man, one microphone, one world, conquering the matrix, power from on high. A prophecy of the future of America. A prophecy of the future of America, volume two. Uh, and many other books. I talked in detail about all these things, from earthquakes to global unity. You need to get them at their great discounts right now at paulmcguire.us. And many of you, you say, well, I don't believe in directed energy weapons, beam weapons. It sounds like a conspiracy theory. The answer to that is, no, you're wrong. You're believing a falsehood. It is a scientific and technological fact that is documented in mainstream publications by scientists, by NASA, by the military, etc., etc., that our military and militaries around the world have been building and successfully re-engineering what are called directed energy beam weapons beginning around 1947 or the late 1940s. So this weaponry, which is the usage of EMF, electromagnetic frequency weapons, this weaponry is borrowed from the research of Nikola Tesla. Now, what happened is, is that they have been using it out in the open. Some say it was used in the Hamas-Israel conflict. Some say they saw the, the, the leftover evidence of directed energy beam weapons. Uh, there have been places Russia has been involved in where people claim they see have seen evidence of directed energy beam weapons. Lahaina, Paris, California, up in the mountains, when those houses and streets were vaporized, when those cars were vaporized, when the same thing happened on Lahaina, on the island of Maui, you saw the vaporization of metal and cars, and some of it turning into liquid metal. That is most often. Uh, the result of the usage of a directed energy beam weapon. So I did some research. Is this indeed true? I already knew it was true, but this is research for, for people that you might talk to. And I was reading a, a snappy publication from Boeing, one of the big, big aerospace industry giants. And on the cover of the Boeing magazine, it was this, this incredible artwork of this super science fiction futuristic jet flying overhead flying above the orbit of the Earth. And then in giant letters below this futuristic jet, it said in large, clear letters, something about Boeing, and then it used the words, directed energy beam weapons. 
So Boeing, among many gigantic companies, is coming out in the open and acknowledging that they have invented, they are selling, they are marketing, and they are using, for whatever the purposes they have are, they're using, and they're real right now. This is not a futuristic technology. This is happening now. They said in their own words on the cover of their own Boeing magazine that they are selling directed energy beam weapons. You see, I have been saying this for, for 20, 30 years, like, like constantly. You will constantly hear me say things like, you know, most people, their minds are stuck in an illusion of the present reality, and they cannot conceive that the level of our technology is, in reality, far, far beyond what they think it is. In reality, we have already discovered, invented, and are using uh, futuristic technological weapons and uh, futuristic scientific weapons and discoveries. We're already utilizing those things, and we have been for decades. So people need to get their intellectual understanding up to speed with what is being publicly discussed. Another example would be you could peruse all these new movies, all these TV shows like NCIS, you know, about the the Marines and the Navy or the uh, Top Gun Maverick movie with Tom Cruise. All these movies, all these TV shows. If you listen carefully to the talking and, and the conversation and the movies and the episodic TVs, you will see continual references, continual pictures of, continual videos of things like microscopic chip implants being put in human bodies, taken out of human bodies. You will see things like uh, open discussion of directed energy beam weapons, uh, open discussion of artificially intelligent satellites, and and all the stuff that your dumbed-down, socially engineered kangaroo neighbors can't seem to get, like they don't believe, they, they think, all, they dismiss all of that as a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a reality. This is where we are now. We are in the future now. Okay, so because we're in the future, and we're sliding very quickly into the last days, God, what the Lord has put in my heart is, Paul, you need to use your ministry and the giftings I've given you in writing and speaking and films and books and articles and, and vastly expand your social media outreach. You need to get God's people and, and people who love this nation, you need to get them up to speed as fast as possible so that they can access the technology and sciences of the future which are available now. The Lord said to me, if my people do that by faith, they will take a quantum leap and they will get to occupy the land before the devil does in every area, in every area, including economic, science, and technology. Then the Lord said to me, we are in a space race beyond your wildest dreams. And there are so many events that are being hidden from the people in terms of multiple dimension uh, uh, realities, etc. The Lord said to me, Paul, I want you to focus and concentrate on communicating to as many people as you possibly can and communicating as fast as you can and clearly and as efficiently as you can. Paul, I want you to spread this message on a global level at lightning speed, and this is the message I want you to communicate. Paul, I want you to communicate the reality and truthfulness of my holy word, the Bible. I want you to communicate its truthfulness in every area of life. 
Thus, I want you to communicate with lightning speed that the Bible is scientifically true, biologically true, genetically, DNA true, um, um, black physics and, and the invisible realm true, um, genetic engineering true. When you read the Bible through the lens of faith and believing that it's God's word, if you allow him to, the Lord will use his Holy Spirit and he will open your eyes up to the deep and extremely relevant truths of the Bible regarding science and technology and physics and and theology on a level that you never thought possible. What I'm telling you is if you throw off your religious boredom mentality, what I'm telling you is if you jettison your your flatline theological Christian experience, you know, when you're in the emergency room or whatever, and all the machines, they, they stop pulsing and beeping where they normally have it looks like they're bouncing up and down and like a graph of green colors, they're bouncing up and down. But all of a sudden, they're not bouncing up and down anymore. You hear this loud, high-pitched squeal or monotone tone, and the graph of up and downs simply goes across all the TV screens with the beeping noise as one long, flat line or a horizontal line, which usually means the patient has died or their heart is stopped. The Lord wants his people to stop reading and teaching and preaching his holy word from a Christian walk that can be characterized by an endless flat line. The Lord says those days are over. The days where Christianity, the Bible, and biblical truth is synonymous with boredom, the mundane stupidity, and uh, inferior understanding of physics and science, those days are over, says the Lord. And then he said to me, remember, Paul, in the last days, it says, that travel will vastly increase and the speed of travel will vastly increase. And then he said, Paul, remember that in the last days, the Bible says, men and women will go to and fro, flying through uh, ex- with, with exotic technology. They will go to and fro throughout the earth. Remember that, Paul. And then he said, I want you, Paul. I trained you how to do this. I taught you how to do this. I taught you how to think outside of the box when you were like 10 or 11 years old. That's when I began. And I have embedded in you, I've invested in you, uh, let's call it a DNA, a multidimensional spiritual DNA with a time clock on it. So even though you didn't know it, I was orchestrating your interests and disinterests. I was energizing your pursuit of truth, knowledge, and science. And then as I uh, programmed it to function, the DNA code and the coding behind all of this begins to beep like an alarm clock 40 years into your future. And you say to me, and you say to yourself, well, what's happening? Well, Paul, what's happening is that I have been preparing you brick by brick, precept upon precept. I have been preparing you diligently and methodically to understand the complexities of the infinite universe that I've created. As Dr. Francis Schaeffer said, I am the infinite personal living God of the universe. Paul, I want you to teach on that kind of robust, high-powered intellectual level. Because the dunamis, unlike what many of people in, in the body of Christ are saying, the dunamis 
cannot be reduced to hyper-emotionalism or acting in a bizarre manner. The dunamis is the dynamite Holy Spirit explosion of God, also known as power from on high. And the dunamis is released in multiple dimensions, beginning with the reality dimension. The dunamis was released when my people learn to synergistically balance their right brain thinking with their left brain thinking. And from the foundational integration of that balance, they are able to move supernaturally, process supernaturally, and yet at the same time acquire exhaustive intellectual, scientific, logical, rational, scientific knowledge. But time is running out because the the, the children of the wicked one, they are jumping on all these technologies. They are jumping on the acquisition of supernatural powers. And the Lord said, I have given you a plan. I want you to share it with my people. I will direct my people by speaking to them in their spirit, man. I will direct them whether or not they should join with you. And those that who hunger and are searching after me, they will hear the call and they will join you. They will become an invisible rising army that will be in excess of millions of people and it will be global, says the Lord. And then the Lord continually says this to me. Paul, don't worry about who gets credit. It's not important about who gets credit. What's important is me, Jesus Christ, and the fact that I'm returning soon. That's important. That's important. And the other thing that's important, Paul, is the multiplied millions of people who are going to be saved, born again, and enter the kingdom of heaven. So, I come to you on behalf of Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church. I ask you to commit yourself afresh to the Lord right now. Bow your heart or bow your mind right now in the name of Jesus. Humble yourself before the Lord, and in due time, he'll exalt you. Ask God how much he wants you to donate or contribute financially into this ministry. And whatever it is that the Lord calls upon you to do, simply obey the Lord and give whatever God tells you to give or donate whatever God tells you to donate. And the Lord said, there should be no artificial limitations placed on the amount of your giving and donating. You should give as liberally and as generously as I have given to you. Open up the floodgates, says the Lord. And to the degree that you open up the floodgates is to the degree that I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing in your life and in the lives of your partners, I will pour out a blessing that there is no room to receive. It will be such an ample blessing that, that it will overflow from anything you try to contain in it. And then the Lord kept saying, you need to move forward. He told me certain building things we need to put together, computer marketing things we need to put together, organizational things we need to put together, film, video, books, distribution and other things, Paradise Mountain Church outreaches, not busyness, effectiveness, not busyness, effectiveness. And so I ask you to seek the Lord, and I know that the Lord will speak to you as he's spoken to me. And then I ask you to lift me up, lift everybody associated with this ministry up, everybody who's connected to the ministry, pray for them, their supernatural protection. Finally, cry out to the Lord and be an intercessor and an action person in help us in helping us to defeat 
this this vicious attack of rigging and uh, attempting to destroy our social media outreaches and our, our computer outreaches. I need you to stand in the gap for me. Now, what the Lord put in my heart was to tell you this. To the degree that you are willing to obey me, says the Lord, to the degree that you will pick up my burdens and Paul's burdens as your own burdens, to the degree that you do that, says the Lord, it is to that degree that I will calculate the numerical multiplication of your blessing, your expansion, your growth, your healing, and your anointing. The Lord said, I have in heaven enormous resources that will meet all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To the degree that you will step out in faith and prayer and obey me, it is to that degree, it is to that percentage, I will multiply exponentially beyond your wildest dreams. I will multiply your outreach, your effectiveness. I will multiply the numbers of people that will join with you. I will give you supernatural favor. I will clothe you and those that join with you with power from on high. And together, I will give you the supernatural ability to occupy the land till I return. And all I know now talking to you is I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room of the studio right now. I feel the peace of God that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the very atmosphere of the room that I'm sitting in has been transformed. And on an experiential basis, I'm experiencing the glory of God and the presence of God uh, unusually manifesting himself in the studio and the room. And what that is, it's a foreshadowing or a future indicator of what the Lord intends to do and what is to come what the Lord intends to do and what is to come. And finally, the Lord wants you to know that you and I are to have no fear. You and I are to have no fear, says the Lord. For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So the Lord said, you are to drive fear out of your mind, your life, your home, your ministry, your job, your body, every area of your life, you must take and use your spiritual authority, and drive out in the name of Jesus the spirit of fear. And I will bless you. I will infuse you with power from on high. In Jesus' name, we pray. Lord, answer every prayer need that's weighing on the heart of every person now. Let every person who's listening now, who has a burden or a prayer need on their heart, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that the Lord Jesus Christ would touch your heart and heal it and lift it up and bathe it, bathe your heart in light and healing, and we speak blessing to your heart, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. God is on the precipice of doing a quick work, and it will be unexpected. There is turmoil coming. There is conflict coming. There's no question about it. There is upheaval, upheaval coming. No question about it. But the Lord is faster, the Lord is mightier than anything that our opponents could put together, no matter how hard hard they've tried. So you and I must unite under the kingdom of God, just like in the Old Testament, the followers of Nimrod united as one, and nothing that they attempted to do 
was impossible for them. Everything they attempted to do, they were able to do as long as they functioned as one, despite the fact that they were secretly worshiping Lucifer, and despite the fact that, that they were putting together the New World Order, also known as Mystery Babylon. Well, that's how it works for the kingdom of darkness. In the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of light, if we come together as one, if we come together in unity, if we function in unity and oneness through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, we will experience a exponential supernatural enhancement, a release of enhanced supernatural power, and the dunamis dynamite explosion that obliterates anything, any wall or stronghold that would attempt to oppose what God is going to do in the earth. This is Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Mm-hmm.